No? <laughs> good morning. It's really good to be here, you guys. Oh, my gosh. Sherry and I were just like, we miss this. Oh, we miss being here. We miss you all. So many people in here that we haven't seen in a while. Good to see you, Dan. Hey. Happy Valentine's Day, right? Everybody finish waving to somebody new? Somebody old? Somebody familiar? Um, this is my... Uh, this is my Bible. This is my notes. This uh, got blown all over the uh, parking lot at the 9 o'clock. Yeah, Sherry was laughing pretty loud. I don't know if you guys heard that or not. But, um, Sherry's my lovely bride. I don't know if you know. So I'm, I'm here to talk about love and marriage today. Um, uh, this being that beautiful, hopeful, painful, pitiful, wonderful Hallmark holiday called Valentine's Day. You know, there's an adjective in there for all of us, I'm sure. Um, this day probably brings up a lot of different thoughts and for everybody, you know. Um, good ones, bad ones. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I remember feeling like I had to give a Valentine to everybody in middle school. Remember that? I come up, you hand them all out, and you know, and you got the conversation hearts and all that stuff. Oh, I got one from somebody. You know? and, uh, and if I miss somebody, they'd be devastated. And if I didn't get one in return, I'd be devastated. Oh, I mean, like, the kind of pressure we put on ourselves. Do we still do that? Yeah. Is that why some of us got married? So we wouldn't have to remember to get a Valentine for everybody. <laughs> I mean, I got married, so I would have a pretty good chance of never letting anyone down again, ever. Didn't quite work out the way I planned it. <laughs> Well, in fact, I could say with absolute certainty that I have let my wife down. Even devastated her at times over the last 16 plus years, especially the first five years of our marriage. You know, some of you knew my, know my story, and I'd be more than happy to share it with you. Uh, but in the first year of our marriage, Sherry and I attended a marriage getaway called The Weekend to Remember. Some of you are familiar. Some of, them, some of you have attended. Um, that Weekend to Remember, it was and will be again organized by Family Life Ministries. <clears throat> Well, over the course of this very difficult weekend, but rewarding weekend, Pastor Joe said, it was the best and worst weekend of my life. <laughs> and it's true of a lot of us that have attended. We learned a great deal about she and I are very different people. We come from very different backgrounds and family dynamics, cultures even. And although we already had Christ in our life, we realized it was going to be hard work to maintain a healthy marriage relationship. We also learned how a God-honoring marriage is a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. I'll paint this picture a little clearer using scripture shortly, but it also explains why it's under such attack by enemies. So while we're at this weekend, we meet this couple who are local to us. They were working the weekend. They were volunteers. They were there to like kind of herd the people and, and pray for them and to show them resources and share their story. Um, and at one point during the conference... Over the weekend, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, we and a bunch of other, a few other couples go to a breakout session where this local couple was sharing information about a resource for some small group study. This guided discussion resource was structured so that any couple could, could use it to facilitate a small group study for married couples in their home or their church. And Sherry and I, well, more Sherry than I at the time, were like, we can do this. You know, we can lead a study. Sherry tells us, start, do you want to come up, babe? Tells this part of the story much better than I. But long and, long and short of it is, we asked this couple if we could join 
their local small group for one session, just one session, like a, a, a spring session of six or eight meetings kind of thing. One session so we could learn how to do it and learn how to facilitate and then bring it back to our church. Seven years later, <laughs> we started our own group Bible study in our home, which we still do for the last eight or nine years, I guess. And some of you have been in our living room. I, we counted up. We had 40. Last count was like 42 couples in our living room over the course of eight years, you know, that God ministered through us to them. It's just amazing. Um, and we start our spring session actually tomorrow night. Um, so if, if anybody, any of you couples want to, we have another spot open if you guys want to come in. It's in person at our house. Um, we're not going to do the Zoom thing. It's a little, not quite as uh, intimate as we like it to be. But um, if you want to, you know, let me know. Give me, come up to Sherry and I after the service and, uh, and ask. We'll talk to you about what, what it's all about. But anyway, um, this couple and the others in their group welcomed us in. And they shared their lives, their struggles, their failures, their victories, their love and their prayers with us and showed us how to do that for others and how to perpetuate that. And those were the very difficult first years of our marriage and I, I believe it kept us, Sherry and I, together. We learned how to do marriage God's way and we started our own home group eventually. Sherry and I also continued to attend this weekend to remember Getaway Conference every year since. And each year we would go as volunteers as well. One of the biggest jobs that we had as volunteers was to pray for the folks that attended. We saw some miracles in marriages <laughs> over the years. So God gave that event and the small group as a ministry for Sherry and I to share in our marriage. So thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for Valentine's Day. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son, the ultimate Valentine, to die on a cross for our sin. Lord, I pray for a, a renewed understanding of of what that sin is and, and how that distance us, distances us from you and why we need the cleansing blood of Christ to come into your presence. And once we do, we receive that power, that power from on high, that power of your Holy Spirit, the power that raised you from the dead, Lord Jesus, is in us now. Mm. Guide us. So all that to segue into 1 Peter 3, the part that Pastor Joe and Pastor Keith skipped right? That popular bumper sticker theology that says, wives, submit! <laughs> Let's talk about that. Joyous. Well, with the guidance of a very alive and active Holy Spirit and the regurgitation of a few other wiser people's wisdom, I'm going to share with you today, and I hope to share a Valentine with you from God himself. I'll gladly be that courier. God has one for every one of us. No postage due. It's only that you believe that there is a Valentine with your name on it and that you receive it by grace through faith. Amen. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. We'll read through it and then we'll unpack it. Likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair or putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything is, that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the, the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, there's a lot of ways that this portion of Scripture can be tortured, misrepresented, taken out of context, used as a platform to misjudge and criticize the marriage of someone else. Is that me? Excuse me. It's even been used to justify walking away from your spouse or even God, right? But I believe it speaks of a loving God and a very present Savior. We can compare this to other scripture. It sounds familiar, right? 1 Peter 3, 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Colossians 3, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, the first thing I notice that we can notice is Peter says to be subject to your own husbands. It does not say to submit to all men in a general sense, right? Also, the act of submission to another can still be consistent with equality and importance and dignity and honor. Take Jesus, right? He was submissive to his parents, also submissive to God the Father. But he was not and is not lower than either of them. He is fully God, fully man. Wayne Grudem comments on this portion of scripture, this command to wives to be subject to their husbands should never be taken to imply inferior personhood or spirituality or lesser importance. We all submit to God-appointed authority as our obligation to God, unless that authority directs us to sin, right? <clears throat> Acts 4, uh, Peter and John just healed the guy who had been lame all his life. And uh, they're taken before the Sanhedrin, or at least the higher court of priests. In verses 19 and 20, when ordered to not speak, when ordered not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, Peter and John answered the Sanhedrin, well, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the priests were telling them, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they're like, can't but speak about the name of Jesus, right? You know, it's the good news, man. I can't not share that just because you're telling me not to. So we're to come under the, under the auspices and authority and submit to the governing authority, right? But if they're telling us not to share about the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel, then that would be sin against the Holy Spirit, right? Just chew on it. Just chew on it. So to continue in 1 Peter 3, verse 1, second half, so if, that if, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So our, love, our lifestyles, they testify to what we believe, correct? Many folk don't listen to a word that comes out of our mouths, am I right? I mean, I, I watch people talk all the time. <laughs> I listen sometimes. Ask my wife. She, but one of my favorite words is what? <laughs> she brought it up the other day. 
she's right. I want to change that. One of, the, one of those things that's hard work that we learned about. But people do know a, lot, a whole lot about our character and what we believe by what they see and observe that we do. I've no noticed that some who cuss with regularity don't cuss around me. You know, I never shared with them that it bothers me that they would. And being a Marine, I've been there, done that. I, there's nothing you can do or say that will actually offend me anymore. You know, like I've, I've been there. But I'm certain that, and I'm certain that many of them have heard me cuss before. But I pray that my lifestyle points to a faith in a higher standard, a higher power. A belief that I am accountable to an all-powerful creator. I have a quiet peace about me most times. I even have a joy, a joy sometimes, even in grave circumstances and, and very difficult trial because of the hope I have in Jesus, because of the deposit of the Holy Spirit within me that reminds me of all the promises he's given. So this verse, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. We're, we're the bride of Christ, right? Yes, Peter's talking to wives in particular, but as a, in a grander sense, I'm, I'm a bride of Christ. This scripture can still apply to me. You know, my lifestyle can still point other people to Christ without me saying a word. 1 Peter 3, 4 through 6, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair, putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Um, anybody have this experience? You know, Sarah calling Abraham Lord. I know uh, Sherry calls me Lord. <laughs> so when I was sharing this outside, I, I watched her in the car, and her she was like, <laughs> Sherry has this belly laugh, right, that will fill the whole room, and I, I hope it happens today. I hope you hear it. Some of you have heard it, and some of you are like, I'm like, oh my word, this, is, this woman's laugh is just, it just melts you. And you just want to know what she's laughing about because I want to laugh too. It's awesome. Well, she laughed at me when all my papers got blown off <laughs> by the wind. She, I can, she started laughing at me. Anyway, a few elders and I were at a um, couple's house yesterday, and um, we were praying for them. We were praying with them. We were fellowshipping with them. And they shared. They were sharing a snap, snapshot of their life with us as we came into their living room, into their, into their house. And it, it, they were sharing that as a blessing to us. And we were there to pray for them. You know, they've been year, married over 50 years. And we, we thought we were there to pray for God to heal them and to remove discomfort from them. And I'm not saying that didn't happen. But I, I was struck by their grace toward each other. The open communication that they shared together about difficult, hard topics, they spoke freely with us about their family and some of the pain they've endured over the years. And watching them, I could clearly see the woman's respect for her man. I could see the, the man's complete love and devotion to his wife. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That scripture is speaking louder through them than any word that was spoken yesterday in their living room. It's just amazing to watch. I pray, Lord, that we would have a marriage like that. A man cherishes, man that cherishes the perfect gift God has given him in his wife and encourages her to think, to work, to share her opinion, and yet be free to ask her submission to him. Did you catch that? A man that cherishes the perfect gift God has given him in his wife, he cherishes her to think, work, and share her opinion and yet he is free to ask her submission from him. Why is that? A woman that adores and respects her man, even if she didn't agree with him, she was free to express her disagreement and rebuke of him. This is what I saw yesterday in this loving couple that has been married 50-some years. He allowed her to, to, to be herself, to share her opinion, to work, to, to have all that. And she allowed him to request her submission to him. But she was still free to rebuke and share. Equal, equal value. Ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? She, my wife may submit to me, but that doesn't mean she's like, oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh-uh, no, she can rebuke me, and she's good at it. <laughs> and I give her plenty of opportunity. <laughs> but I answer to a much higher authority who has given me this woman as a gift. You know, I know this, this sermon doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, and I get that. But there's a lot of precepts in here that share about the love of Christ and that we are his bride and that we can emulate a lot of the things that we're, we're talking about here. Yeah. So here's the rub about that scripture. I'm not going to unpack it too much. Um, and this has been the rub for ages. There's so much emphasis in this world today, and there has been for ages, that we live in about the adornment of the external. I mean, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars to be made on that. There's so much focus on what a woman, or a man for that matter, should look like, should act like, should engage in. Men, many of our wives have a general gnawing feeling that they'll never be able to compete for our attention, our attention and affection compared to the perceived perfection that they and we see daily. Television, news, in the store, wherever. The sexual immorality that Solomon repeatedly warns about in, in Proverbs. Paul exhorts us to flee from it. This is, the same is celebrated to the point of normalcy and expectation, really, pretty much everywhere. The diabolical enemy of your soul would have you believe that feelings should dictate your action, not the truth. Pleasure is good. She has everything you desire, and you don't really have to commit for long. Go for it. Satan has had however many years of human history to study us and study God's word. Satan knows scripture. They twist it just enough 
to make it counterfeit, to get you to stray just a little bit until next thing you know, you're completely going the opposite direction. He loves to counterfeit. It's just good. It's good enough. Not the perfect truth of God, but yeah, yeah pleasure is good. Just go ahead. It'll be good. It'll be all right. Yeah, try it. Then you're hooked. Drawn away enticed and enticed by your own desire, James says. Satan just baits the hook. I admit it. As a Christian, we are accountable to truth. And as a seeker, or agnostic, or an atheist, I would pray that you seek the truth. I will be found by you, says the Lord, if you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise. First period of 3-7. All right, guys, this is for us. <clears throat> Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Colossians 3.19, that goes this same statement. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5.25, similar. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's what I'm thinking. There's two rules in a God-honoring marriage. One for him, one for her, one for me, one for Sherry. So God was thinking of the wife when he commands men, husbands, love your wives. Love, agape, right? That unconditional action verb. It's not a feeling, although it is associated with feelings. It's the same love that God shows while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Died for you. God knows the woman intimately. In Genesis, we were told that Eve was fashioned, delicate, and beautiful. God created in her the deepest need in knowing that she is loved supremely by her husband. She is cherished. She is honored before all others. And she needs that affirmation from her husband that she is secure, that she is loved, that she is prayed for, that she is enough. Agape love is action. Uh, anybody read the five love languages? Anybody know about the love languages? Well, look it up. Yeah, there's five. Um, study your wife. Study your kids. You'll find precepts in there for all that. Study your friends. Study the woman that you're praying God would bring you or the man that you pray that God would bring you. You'll figure out pretty quickly. I figured out pretty quickly with Sherry what her number one love language is and then her number two. And then learn how to speak that language is a whole other thing, right? All right, so for instance, I... I don't, but like, like say you speak the language acts of service, okay? And I sincerely, if I speak this language, I sincerely tell my wife I love her every day by accomplishing little tasks and doing chores for her. Like, she did it. I love her so much. This is because it's my language. This is what I do. This is how I feel loved is when she shows me acts of service, I feel loved, right? So I do that for her, thinking that she's going to feel my love but she speaks quality time. 
She has no idea what I'm doing. She only sees that I'm always too busy to spend time with her, and she doesn't feel important to me, and, and she believes that I don't love her. Like, what the heck? She speaks a completely different language than me. Completely different than what I'm accustomed to. But if I were to learn that language, if you were to learn the language that your wife speaks the most, I promise you, your marriage will improve. I promise you. No doubt about it. I've seen it happen. Like that, even, sometimes. Just boom. Wait, what? It's like speaking Greek and then getting Google Translate and it comes through in English. You're like, oh, that's what you're saying? That's what you're saying? <laughs> and God was thinking of the husband when he commands the woman, submit to your husband. In other words, respect your man. Right? God knows that we guys need affirmation from our wives as well. We need to be able to make sure that we're making her feel secure in us that we're needed, that she is cared for and provided for, that we have what it takes to be her man. So if I feel disrespected, it's likely that I'm going to respond in an unloving way. I'll try to assert my manhood by being cold and aloof, right? Withhold my affirmation of love to her, purposely speak a different language, maybe purposefully act unloving. So then, she'll respond in a way that will challenge my manhood, right? Something that maybe she'll question my commitment to her or uh, question my authority about something or, you know, just make me feel, just kind of like, mm, kick me. Maybe she'll accuse me of saying something and it's not what, the way I meant it, but yes, you said, but it's not the way I, and then there's... So then I'm going to respond in a way that flies in her face and undermines any security that she may have in our relationships that she thought was there. So I'm responding. And then she'll tell the kids, oh, your father's an idiot. Crazy cycle, right? Anybody familiar with that? I don't think so. Nobody in this room. How do we stop that, right? Well, the only way I know how is one of us needs to drop on their knees before God and repent and choose grace toward our spouse. If it, so if it's me, I'll say, Sherry, I'm out of line. I'm sorry. I, I, was, I was wrong to say those things. I was wrong to do those things. I love you. Will you forgive me? And she'll say, what would you say? <laughs> I wrote that for her. She has a script. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Pass it on, y'all. First to your spouse. First to the one that's closest to you. The one that you can hurt the most, the easiest. And vice versa. If you don't know Christ, 
He can be found by you right now. That's the only way I can forgive my wife is because I was first forgiven. Only he can bring about this change of heart. Even as believers, we need him every day. I need him every day. I need a reminder every day. I need to get in his word every day. I need reminders. i got a built-in forgetter up here that I forget about the love he has for me. I forget that I'm not in control most of the time. I forget that I'm not all that. <laughs> his still small voice, Jesus' still small voice can rise above the din of dissension and rest our attention like nothing else can. In the midst of the, ah, yeah, this, Tim, Tim, Tim. Like, what's your head around? Tim, I love you, man. Tim, you don't need to do this. Ravi Zacharias, I know he's in the news now, and it's, I, I, who knows what's true about that. I don't care. I, I care about the love of Christ as far as that goes. He probably got it from somebody else, but he said, there is absolutely no reason to be unkind to your wife. Zero. There is no reason for it. There is no reason for you to be unkind to your wife. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even this, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.33 spells it out perfectly. Let each of you, each one of you, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that he res she respects her husband. Basic, simple rules for a godly marriage. It's not based on performance. It's not a 50-50. If you do, then I do. There's no scorekeeping. Well, you do this, so I'm going to. But Christ is all in and all. A man who loves his wife has a wife who finds it easy to submit. And a woman who respects her husband has a man who finds it easy to love her and cherish her, find and study her love languages, probably more than one. So this Christ-like love for his church, I've seen it modeled beautifully in so many people in marriages over the years. And at times in my wife, uh, at times in my wife's parents' marriage, in my parents' marriage, I've seen it spoken of and shared by couples on stage on the weekend to remember. Couples here in this audience, I've seen it. I've inferred it from scripture as I read, and I've seen it in my own marriage by the overwhelming grace of God. Am I done already? I like the way this guy summarizes how marriage is a picture of Christ in his church. Josh, Josh Benner, I don't expect any of it. I don't, I don't know, I've just found it. But he writes a blog, and um, he's a pastor in Illinois, I think. He used to be Minnesota, now he's in Illinois. Josh Benner, he writes a blog, right? <clears throat> so I'm going to summarize it and read it to you. In the Bible, so much of the marriage language about weddings, brides, and grooms is discussing the relationship between God and his people. In the Bible, in spite of humanity's sin, turning away from God, the Lord is depicted as a faithful groom. In the New Testament, the church is depicted as the bride and Christ is the groom, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus has a sacrificial love for the church, you believers, his bride. And what Paul is saying, is saying is that marriage itself is a picture of the love that Jesus has for his church. The gospel, the good news, gives a picture of what marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is about faithfulness. 
God is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his promises. Marriage is about forgiving because we sin. And the closer a person is to us, the deeper the wounds we can inflict. And nowhere is that truer than in marriage. Marriage is about grace. You are to love your spouse unconditionally. Sherry doesn't earn my love or approval, just like I can't earn God's love. God freely offers a love that I could never earn. Marriage is about love because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 13 is oft repeated at weddings. and There's an excerpt of that. The Bible says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That doesn't sound like a feeling to me. That sounds like an action. The gospel, the good news. Jesus came, died, rose again for our sins. People believe. The gospel gives marriage its greater meaning. Jesus is the groom who sacrificed everything for his bride. He bought the farm. <laughs> Why did that... <laughs> Why is that so funny to me? And it just popped into my head. So, well, there's a verse that he, he you know, the, the man who found the gem in the field, and he sold everything and bought that field, right? We're the gem in that field. He bought the whole field so we, he could have the gem, which is us, the believers. Despite all of our imperfections, our mistakes, our times of selfishness, the worst things we've ever done in spite of that, God offers to love freely and unconditionally. Unconditionally, God loves me at my worst. God loves you at your worst. He loves us at our worst. He does not love us because of what we've done or how we make him feel. He loves us because he loves us. Because. That's the answer to most of our questions. Why? Because. Trust in him. And all we have to do is receive that love. Accept it, to know that there is grace. When marriage is done right, there aren't many things better than that in the whole world. Am I right? It's pretty cool. Two people who love each other, who have fun with each other, who have the permission and freedom to laugh at each other. Oh my gosh, it's so great and so freeing. Sherry has taught me more about taking myself lightly than anybody else. Can I tell this story? We're, uh, do you want to tell it? The Boston story when I, when I tripped? You really should, you should tell the story. Oh, my gosh, it would be so funny if you did. You sure? There's a, Rachel has a microphone. <laughs> so I, I don't know if we were dating or if we were just married, right? We, we go to the Boston Museum of Science. And uh, we're parking across the street. I don't know if you, 
it's been so long since I've been there, but park in this parking garage, and we're walking up, and I have similar shoes to this, boat shoes, the Sperry Topsiders or whatever, actually similar to what Sherry's wearing, except brown. And um, we're walking up the hill, and then you get to the top of the parking lot hill and go to the left, and then there's hedges, and then there's a Boston Museum of Science in front of you. Well, we're halfway up the hill, and Sherry goes, did you lock the car? And I'm like, yeah, of course I locked the car. Well, do you mind checking? I'm like, fine. You know, I'm like, go back and I check it. And then uh, I'm walking back up to her, and I'm kind of trotting, you know, I'm like, I'm all cool. And the curve's right there, and I, I caught it. And I tell you what, I refused to fall. I refused to fall, and it took me about a half hour, and I ended up doing the worm and all this other stuff. You know, and she, she's like, she starts laughing that she puts her hands over her face. And, and I tell you, man, I was like four hours. Like right around lunchtime, she's like, will you just please get over yourself? Stop it. Nobody saw it. Just stop it. Oh, my gosh. It was so, I mean, now it's hilarious. I mean, at the time, I was like, don't you dare laugh at me. Was, oh, that's her favorite thing is to laugh. And she laughs at herself better than anybody. So now if I were to do that, she'd Oh my gosh, so funny. We bring out the best in each other now. We put in the hard work of learning about each other, of letting, I mean, one old, older couple, he's like, dude, let a whole lot of water go underneath that bridge. That's how we have a good marriage now. You know, if you hang on to everything, you're going to get eaten up. You're going to eat, get eaten alive. You're, you're married to a good-willed person who loves the Lord. And if they don't, they're going to be one to the Lord by your conduct, not by what you say or how you're hammering them. You're married to a good-willed person. Believe the best of that person. That's what love is. Believes all things, hopes all things. Because of the hope I have of heaven, because of the hope of my future that has nothing to do with what's going on right now, nothing to do with the mask I have to wear, nothing to do with the politics that I'm trying to ignore because it gets me, you know, so I don't even watch it. I can't even focus on what I'm good at if I watch what's going on with the monkeys in the circus. I can't, you know, so you read, you read scripture, you read the epistles of Paul, he's living in a time that is like, crazier than we're even going to see, ever going to see, right? He's living under an emperor that has a couple of boyfriends, and he's burning Christians alive. He's living in a time where it's just insanely sexually immoral, insanely, I mean, like, the, the stuff that's going on, we, we haven't touched it, not even close. We might, might see it in our lifetime, might see it in the next couple of years, I don't know. Paul didn't talk about Nero. He didn't talk about, the only, thing, the only time he mentions anyone in authority in Scripture other than to say to submit to them is when he's addressing King Agrippa directly or talking about how members of Caesar's household have come to faith in Christ. Other than that, it's about Jesus. It has nothing to do with the political climate. It has nothing to do, like, how dare you believe that? If you believe that, you're not a Christian. Like, what? Dude. You know? What's the overall consensus if you're in the world, if you're like in, into politics or if you're, you know, like I, you can have your own opinion, that's fine, just as long as it's my opinion coming out of your mouth. I mean, that's like the, that's, that's the discussion now. Why even bother? You know, be, have your finger on the pulse, know what's going on, you know, so that you need, if you need to leave the housetop fast, go. But in the meantime, it's all about you and Christ. It's all about the kingdom of God coming here. And it's going to get a whole lot worse no matter what's going on. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, it's going to get a whole lot worse. It's promised. Did you read the end of the book? You know, it's coming. You're going to stem the tide? You're going to build a sandcastle on the low tide line? It's coming. In the end of Ecclesiastes, I think Solomon's like, the end of the matter is, like, everything under the sun is meaningless. 
That's what he's saying. I've tried everything. I've done everything. But at the end of it, the end of the matter is this. Trust God. Believe in his commandments. It's all about the Lord. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. That's the story. That's the greatest story ever told. We're living it. And I'm getting distracted by the stuff that's piping through my radio. It's all a, a smokescreen from the real thing. It's all a counterfeit. It's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to get us divided. He wants to get divisive. He wants us to talk about the little things that don't matter in the grander scheme. Yes, it's, it's important. I get it. It's important. But it's not enough to divide people, especially if you love an all-powerful God. Keep the main thing the main thing, and that's the main thing. In the meantime, just keep walking, because the one who goes before you is faithful. The one who won the battle is faithful. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for winning the battle. We thank you that we're following a great captain. You defanged that lion. You made him powerless. And we want the trust.